Section 16 of the Book of Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. The Book of Wales by Frank Evers Bedard. Chapter 8, Part 2. Family Physeteridae. This family may be thus characterized. All or most of the cervicals ankylosed. Coastal cartilages not ossified. Pterygoids thick and meeting in the middle line. Lacrimal bones distinct and large. Synthesis of mandible long. Teeth found in both jaws, but those of lower jaw alone functional, often very reduced in number. Pectoral limb smallish, throat furrowed by two or more furrows. These whales form a small assemblage of forms which are again divided by Sir William Flower into the sperm whales and the ziphides. Van Beneden is in favor of uniting them rather more closely. The chief anatomical characters which ally the sperm whales to the ziphides and the fewer characters which separate them are given below on page 213. The whales of this group are for the most part, if not altogether, social, the solitary and stranded individuals being, as a rule, males. Probably these males are like rogue elephants, fierce bulls which have been expelled from the herd. All the members of this division of toothed whales range widely. None are really restricted in range except the Berardius. They are equally at home in the calm seas of the tropics, amidst the ice flows of the north and in the stormy waters of the Antarctic Ocean. They all possess functional teeth in the lower jaw and there only. Their food seems to be chiefly, if not invariably, cuttlefish and this circumstance accounts for their greater abundance in the tropics, for those animals more abound in those latitudes. Van Beneden reminds us that all, or at any rate most, of the Physeteridae produce spermaceti, originally known and once solely obtained from the sperm whale itself, the late Captain Gray commenced at one time to pursue hyperodon for the same substance. He found it to be by no means inferior in quality to that of Fisiter and to be of the same composition. From Berardius, spermaceti has been also obtained. The grooving of the throat, which characterizes indeed appears to be universal in these whales, may have some relation to the extensility of the gorge required by the enormous quantity of cuttlefish devoured. It may be in fact a structure developed by similar needs 
to those which have produced grooves upon the Balcenoptera, and to be therefore no evidence of affinity. Ten thousand beaks of the mollusks were obtained from the stomach of a hyperodon. We may associate the sperm whales sensu stricto in the subfamily Physeterinae, which is quite as far as they ought to be separated from the Ziphides. This subfamily will contain two genera, viz. Physeter and Kogia. These two genera agree to differ from what may be termed the Ziphine by two characters of some little importance. These are the presence of numerous teeth in the lower jaw and the existence of only a lacrimal bone. There is at any rate only one bone, which may, of course, conceivably represent a fused lacrimal and malar. There are two in Ziphides. To those two characters, which Sir William Flower uses to ally the sperm whales, giant, and pygmy, we may add the single lateral left blowhole. Sir R. Owen at least figures a single blowhole in Cogia simus, which is longitudinal as in Physeta, but not S-shaped as in that creature. Of the two genera of Physeterines, Cogia is in many ways the least specialized form. It has the blowhole in what is, for a whale, a more normal position. We cannot, it seems reasonable to suppose, regard the terminal blowhole of the cachalot as primitive because it is so far away from the shrunken nasal bones. It must be at most a return to a primitive state of affairs. The falcate dorsal fin of Cogia may be considered in the same light and also generally the more delphinoid form of the head and body. The form of the cachalot with its disproportionate head is surely a secondary acquisition. In the skull, too, there are features which seem to point to the same conclusion. The elongated rostrum of the cachalot contrasts with the short snout of the pygmy sperm whale. And it has been shown that the fetal cachalot is far more like the cogia. In the fetal cachalot, it has been pointed out by Sir R. Owen that the lacrimal is only united to the squamoso by ligament. The bone is thus independent of the squamosal, as is the case in the adult cogia. In cogia, the pteroids are not so completely united in the middle line as they are in physeter, a character in which the former genus seems to be at a lower level than physeter. Cogia seems to have, at any rate in the species K. simus, a pair of functional teeth in the upper jaw. In Physeter, there are small teeth apparently non-functional in the upper jaw, as in Ziphides generally. 
There is one feature in the vertebral column which seems to point to the more basal position of Kogia in the series. The posterior dorsal vertebrae are not supported by special outgrowths of the centra to which they are attached. In Physeter, such processes exist in the case of the last two ribs, as has been explained in detail already. On the whole, then, these various considerations drawn from the different organs of the body lead us to consider Kogia to be the most primitive of the sperm whales. It is the most dolphin-like of those aberrant cetacea. For this reason, we shall commence the survey of the subfamily with a description of Kogia and its species. This genus Kogia consists of at most three species, all of which are small whales, 9 to 13 feet in length. Dorsal fin, falcate. Form, delphinoid. Cervical vertebrae, ankylosed. Juggle, not joining squamosal. Snout, short. Blowhole, at forehead. This genus of pygmy sperm whales comprises a number of varieties from very various parts of the world, which have been much divided up into species and even genera. Allowing for the present that there is but one genus, a conclusion which it will be attempted to justify later, we may begin by contrasting it with the giant sperm whale, Physeter. As to outward form, the present whale has a delphinoid aspect produced by the small head and a backwardly situated blowhole, the well-developed and falcate dorsal fin, and the small size. A peculiarity of the genus, more strongly marked than in its ally Physeter, is the inferior position of the mouth. This gives to the creature, as seen in the figure of Owen, a curiously shark-like aspect. Some little time since a marine monster was stranded on the Welsh coast, and the newspapers reported that it was undecided by the local zoologists, or their own reporter, whether the beast was a shark or a whale. In spite of the superficial resemblance which the ventral mouth of a cogia gives it to a whale, it would be probably only a newspaper reporter who would be in doubt on the matter. The skull is short and has not the prolonged anterior portion so characteristic of the sperm whale. It is, however, very asymmetrical. The pre-maxillary bones are shorter than in Physeter and diverge anteriorly on account of the vomer. The lacrimal bone is not in contact with the squamosal. Indeed, a very considerable gap is left between the two. The cervical vertebrae are all ankylosed together. The ribs vary in number between 12 and 14. The sternum is in three pieces, and at any rate, four ribs are attached to it. The scapula has not the concave outer face that it has in Physeter. The vertebrae 
are rather more numerous, but not much more so. The phalanges also are more numerous than are those of the manus of Physeter. The above are the principal generic characters of Kogia, and they are clearly sufficient to distinguish it generically from Physeter. But the question of species is not so easy a one to decide in view of the small amount of material that can be and has been examined. The greatest possible number is six, which, adding the recently described Kogia pozzi to those enumerated by Gill, are K. previceps, K. grey, K. maclei, K. flowery, K. simus. The latter is elevated by Gill into a distinct genus, Calignatus, on account of the form of the lower jaw mainly, and the presence of two teeth in the upper jaw in addition to the series in the lower jaw. I believe that this is a distinct specific form from the others, but see no advantage in retaining generic rank for it. The whales of this genus are found all over the world, but especially abound in the Antarctic half of the globe. Kogia previceps of the Blainville, probably the same as Euphysitis maclei craft, has 13 pairs of ribs, teeth confined to lower jaw, 14 or 15 on each side, not long. There is a complete skeleton of this whale at the British Museum. The vertebral formula is C7, D13, L9, CA25. The first rib articulates with the last cervical vertebra and the first dorsal. There are seven pairs of ribs which have both capitulum and tuberculum. The capitulum, it may be remarked, is not situated between two adjacent centra, but is entirely confined to the vertebra lying in front of that which bears the tuberculum. I found four ribs to join the sternum. The sternum is composed of three pieces, not divided at all longitudinally. The first sternal rib articulates with the expanded front of the manubrium, which is rather cross-shaped, the two arms being anterior. The second rib is attached between the first and second pieces of the sternum, the third between this and the next, while the last of the sternal ribs articulates at the end of the terminal piece of the sternum. The scapula is not so high as in that of Physeter, but more fan-shaped as in the dolphins. It is not concave externally. It is practically flat. The number of phalanges is as follows. I, 2, 2, 8, 3, 8, 4, 8, V, 7. The skull appears to agree with the Blainville's figure. The V-shaped lacrimal was especially plain and characteristic as compared with Owen's figure of Physeter simus.
Gray suggests that this species is perhaps the same as Euphysites maglei of Kreft. I think that this determination is correct. Kreft gives the same number of vertebrae, save for the addition of a 26 caudal, a difference obviously of no importance. But it must be admitted that the number of phalanges in the hand are not the same. But the figure illustrating this point in his whale is of a young whale, a fact which may account for some discrepancies. Kogia simus, Owen, has nine teeth on each half of lower jaw, two in upper jaw. Vertebral formula C7, D14, L5, CA, 24 equals 50. This species, which inhabits the Indian Ocean, where it was first observed by Sir Walter Elliot, has been by Dr. Gill relegated to a distinct genus, largely on account of the peculiar swollen appearance of the mandibles. The name which he proposed for this genus is Calignatus. This does not seem to be at all necessary, as the whale is so definitely a cogia, and as the genus contains at the most so very few species. However, it seems to be a distinct species and cannot, I think, be confounded with K. grayi, with which species Dr. Gray united it. Sir R. Owen pointed out that it is even shorter snouted than that species. The outline of the occipital behind is, if anything, convex, while the same outline in K. breviceps is concave. The occipital condyle, too, stands out more in K. simus. The peculiar upturned snout suggested the name. Furthermore, the fewer teeth in the lower jaw, and perhaps the two teeth in the upper jaw, are marks of specific distinction which cannot be overlooked. As to the latter, it is possibly not a valid specific character. Fisiter itself has a series of somewhat rudimentary teeth in the upper jaw, and it is therefore possible that its near ally Kogia has the same structural feature. However, in any case, the vertebral formula is quite different. The small number of lumbars distinguishes the present form from all others. As in K. breviceps, the first rib articulates with the last cervical but by ligament only, and the first dorsal. After this come seven ribs, which similarly are possessed of both capitulum and tuberculum. The capitulum, it should be noted, lies between the centra and adjacent vertebrae. Four ribs reach the sternum, which is made up of three pieces, partially divided in the middle line. The phalangeal formula is as follows I two I five three four 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 
Mr. Gill created a species Kogia floweri for a pygmy sperm whale from the shores of California. It was an individual of some nine feet in length with a very low dorsal fin. Nothing of its osteology is known except a portion of the lower jaw. The teeth in this are rather long and curved back, but it would be rash to allow the species to be a certainly settled one in the absence of further information. It seems to be very doubtful whether Kogia grayi can be regarded as a distinct species. It is identified by Gray with K. Simus of Owen, an identification with which I cannot agree, assuming, of course, that the description of Maclay and of Owen are to be depended upon. It seems to be much more likely that the supposed K. Grayi is merely K. breviceps. Dr. Gray made a great point of the marked ridge which divides the postnarial region of the skull, utilizing its marked or less marked character to separate the two genera, Kogia and Euphysites. The difference does not seem to exist between K. breviceps and K. grayi. There might appear at first sight to be one more rib in K. grayi than in K. breviceps, but that this is actually the case does not seem to be perfectly clear. After mentioning dorsal vertebrae 14, Maclay goes on to write the following effect. The first rib, etc., the seven following, etc., the next five. This looks as if 13 were the total number, as in K. breviceps. The fact that in Kogia grayi the first rib is only attached to the first dorsal and not the last cervical also may be perhaps explained by the existence of a ligamentous connection and by youth. The smaller number of phalanges, too, is not a difference of importance, as these bones are known to vary in other whales. A small species, Kogia pozzi, has been recorded by von Haast from the shores of New Zealand, which only measured 7 feet 2 inches in total length. Its color was black with a grayish-white belly. The chief reason for distinguishing it from K. grayi is the vertebral formula C7, D12, L11, CA20. There are thus two pairs of ribs less, and besides this there are only eight chevron bones. The genus Fisiter may be thus defined. Head enormous, blowhole single on the left side, dorsal fin represented by a series of low humps, atlas separate from rest of cervicals which are fused, snout long, juggle joining squamosal. In no mammal 
remarks Sir W. Flower, does the cranium depart from the ordinary type to such an extent as in the cachalot. The expansion, elongation, flattening and distortion of many of the cranial bones met with in certain degree in all cetaceans is here carried so far as to render it by no means easy, at least in the adult animal, to recognize their homologies. In the first place, the skull is enormously large in proportion to the rest of the body, larger than in any whale, and a fartiori than in any mammal. The Greenland whale does not really form an exception. It is certainly rather longer in proportion, but it is not so massive. The skull is raised into a great crest behind the vertex, being occupied by the maxilla and frontals. The asymmetry is chiefly shown in the pre-maxillae and the nasals. The right pre-maxilla is very much the larger. The left nasal alone is present. The parietal bone, if not suppressed, is represented merely by a wedge-shaped piece of the supraoccipital. The orbit has unusually solid margins, more so than in any other toothed whale. This is due to the large size and solidarity of the juggle, which, however, is not as it is in the Ziphites, divided into two pieces. The entire bone apparently represents the separate malar and lacrimal of the Ziphides. The pterygoids meet for a considerable distance in the middle line. The vomer is entirely exposed in front of the palatines. The two rami of the lower jaw do not appear to be united at the symphysis by ankylosis. The length of the symphysis recalls the platanistidae. The vertebral formula of the sperm whale is C7, D11, L8, CA24 equals 50. The atlas alone is distinct, the other cervicals being united with each other and even sometimes with the first dorsal. In the freedom of the atlas and the fusion of the remaining six Physitor is unique among whales. Another characteristic feature of the atlas is its quadrangular outline. As to the dorsal vertebrae, 11 in number if we include the one at the end of the series, much resembling the lumbars but bearing a rudimentary rib. The first nine have somewhat rudimentary post zygapothesis, rough processes which can be hardly called articular surfaces. The pre-zygapothesis are smooth surfaced. The heads for the articulation of the ribs are highly characteristic of the sperm whale and differ in detail from those of other whales. The first vertebra bears a strong transverse process of the neural arch for the articulation of the first rib. 
and also a small facet on the hinder edge of the centrum where articulates the head of the second rib. The eight following vertebrae have similar processes arising from their neural arches for the articulation of the tubercula of their respective ribs. But the corresponding articular facets upon the centra for the capitula of the ribs are not arranged in so uniform a fashion, but vary as follows. The first four vertebrae have facets upon their centra posteriorly for the reception of the heads of ribs 2 to 5. The fifth vertebra has, in addition to the posterior facet, one small one upon the anterior edge of the centrum, so that the capitulum of the fifth rib is intercentral, articulating, as it does, with two centra. In the sixth vertebra, it is the anterior of the two centrum facets which is the larger. In the case of the next vertebra, the posterior facet is still further reduced, while the anterior facet is borne upon a tubercle. The characters of the eighth vertebra are an exaggeration of those of the seventh, and in the ninth there is no trace at all of the posterior facet. The tenth vertebra is peculiar by reason of the fact that the large tubercle which arises from the centrum and carries the capitular head of the rib bends back above and nearly joins the transverse process of the neural arch, a canal nearly complete being formed between the two. The rib of this vertebra is in consequence only provided with a capitulum. The last dorsal vertebra has a very long lateral process arising from the centrum bearing at its extremity the rudimentary eleventh rib. The transverse process has completely disappeared. The eight lumbar vertebrae are killed below. There are fourteen chevron bones. A curious matter concerning the ribs was asserted by Wall. He stated that the ribs of the left side are of larger dimensions than those of the right. The asymmetry of the head is thus alleged to be extended to the trunk. Sir W. Flower so far supported this view by stating that the total weight of the ribs of the right side was 163 pounds nine and a half ounces as against 164 pounds five and a half ounces for those of the left side the sternum of the cachalot is a roughly triangular bone made up of three pieces two of these are paired and anterior and enclose in the dried skeleton a foramen between them the third piece is posterior and smaller, and shows some indications of a longitudinal division into two. Four cartilaginous ribs seem to be attached to the sternum. 
the scapula is higher in proportion to its breadth than any other cetacean. It is remarkably concave on the outer and convex on the inner side. There are six separate carpals. If we include the pisiform, and the phalangeal formula is as follows. 1, 1, 2, 5, 3, 5, 4, 4, 5, 3. End of section 16. Recording by Mike Botez.